Um, listen, as, as we approach the last of whatever, whatever you want to say of 2023, it's coming, it's ending, and uh, we have these patterns and postures. We say those phrases a lot up here. Uh, one of the patterns and postures is to celebrate the birth of a new year, and we all get together and have celebrations and stuff at the end of a year, celebrating the next year. And I, I'm impressed at, uh, it's probably just because of the stuff that, that I keep studying and, and personal things that surround. I've been really interested in how, as I ask people, hey, what are your holiday plans? What are your uh, New Year's Eve plans? There's just this lace of uh, anxiety. Does anyone, uh, maybe this, this will make you anxious, but does anyone like the idea of a new year and this year's ending and next year's coming? Does anyone like, it brings a little bit of anxiety of like, oh, I got to do something? Maybe, yeah. Uh, does anyone not want to admit that it brings them anxiety? That's okay. Don't raise your hand. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> who wants to do that at the beginning of a church service? Yes, I'm anxious. I'm here and I'm anxious. Thank you. Yeah, so... Um, I think that as we think about these postures and patterns that we have, like we have the, the posture of celebrating New Year's Day, New Year's Eve, uh, people, you guys get off work for New Year's Day? Anyone? Anyone want to cheer for that? No. Okay, fine. That's fine. Not, yeah, yeah, I would be thankful, but you know, the Bible says be thankful in all circumstances, but you know, whatever. It's your own. You don't have to be thankful for that. Um, we, I'm interested that we see these postures in nature. And, and this, is, this is a side. I'm going to start with something here, and then we're going to go a different direction. But I feel led to, to say this this morning. You know what's interesting about nature, just patterns in nature, and whether you talk about uniformity in nature, like gravity always pulls us down. That's why I'm not floating up here while I talk to you. Wouldn't that be weird? How long you want me to do this? One more time? Okay. So, like, ooh, that was one too many. Um, but uh, gravity holds us down. Um, fire's always hot. Ice is always cold. Those sort of things. It's also interesting that in nature, you don't really control any of it, do you? I'm fascinated when, when I go hunting, and, and being in nature is always so helpful for, for the deepest parts of what it means to be me, whether you want to define that as soul or, or uh, spirit or, or whatever. People have these different ways of looking at different words, but, but we'll say soul as the Hebrew word nefesh, right? When I'm in nature, I recognize those squirrels are gathering nuts, whether I'm here or not. I don't give a hoot about me. <laughs> They're just living. These deer are pattering in the woods, whether or not I'm here. The weather's going to happen. The wind's going to create change and blow my scent exactly where I don't want it for hunting. And I have no control of it. And it's interesting, oh, anxious person. Hear me, lean in. Uh, again, this is just, this is free. This is aside. When Jesus talks about anxiety in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, hey, don't worry about anything. And he gives two reasons. What two examples does he give to not worry about anything? He says, what do you look to? Birds. You look at birds, and what else do you look at? Flowers. Nature. Isn't that interesting? And if you study psychology, counseling, one of the things that they talk about is grounding or just getting in nature, the idea of just like getting outside, going for a walk. I think it's interesting that when Jesus talks about anxiety, he recognizes, you know what you should do? You should look to the natural patterns of the world because you have no control of them and the Father sustains them. And how much more precious are you to the Father? And so as we approach a new year and you have all these things remembering, man, 2023 was almost as bad as 2020 or whatever it is in your mind. Or, or man, 2024 better be better or I got to do these things. Before you step into that, take a minute to just stop today, tomorrow, look around, 
and recognize there are birds, there are flowers, there are things happening that you have no control over. And God has given us those common graces, those postures, those patterns of the universe to remind us that he's in charge. He sustains. With that in mind, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there's a hardback black one in the seats in front of you. We're going to be in Ephesians 4. Uh, That's ultimately where we're going to land. We'll have some verses before then, but we're going to land in Ephesians 4. So flip there, and we're going to talk about postures. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would move as we read your word, that your spirit would guide us. Lord, we open our hands right now and recognize that that you are the maker, the sustainer, the author and perfecter of our faith through Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us walk in the humility that you are above us, that you are in control, that you are king, and that your kingdom come, your will be done, is the goal. That's the, the only life worth living. Help us to recognize that. We pray you would overcome any barrier, anything, uh, any evil, uh, anything from the world, the flesh, that's preventing us from hearing you now. May your word bear its weight on us. And may we walk in newness of life because of Jesus. Amen. So we see these postures in nature. You don't control them. We all have personal postures. Uh, I'm going to out some, some things here, um, uh, personal postures. I have a morning routine. Uh, I've grown to take ice baths every morning. It's a whole thing. Uh, I go downstairs in my basement. I've got an ice bath inflatable thing. It's not, I'll send you a picture sometime. But anyway, I take uh, a bunch of ice that I freeze and put in it, and then I get in it for three to four minutes. I listen to usually David Platt's Pray the Word, or I just sit in silence, frozen silence, and uh, then I go make coffee for Nikki if I'm awake first. And that, that's not perfect. Sometimes I mess up and, and I wake up late and then Nikki makes coffee and makes me eggs first. That's a posture. That's a, that's a pattern that's grown in my life. Most mornings I do this sort of thing. And of course, everyone, you wake up and what, you go to the bathroom first. Again, there's these postures. There's these patterns. Um, my wife most mornings makes me eggs unless I get to the cast iron first. Um, my, my wife and her mom do this move. I call it the mantis. But like, I don't get this. But whenever they're just like needing something to do and they need to clean or they're just walking around, they'll walk around the house like this. And I just never need to hold my hands like this. Does anyone do this? It's so strange to me. But like, for, I used to make fun of Nikki for it, and then I saw Michelle do it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the thing, right? It's a posture. It's a pattern in their life. Most places I go that I'm familiar with, I'll open the refrigerator. My parents' house. My, it's so ridiculous. We'll drive three hours to get to Springfield, and in the first 40 seconds of being my parents' house, I open the refrigerator. Why? If I know you and I've been to your house, do I open, I open Adam's refrigerator. I go to his house. Well, I don't need anything in his refrigerator. It just happens, right? Because I'm, a, I guess, an unbiased fatty. I just need to see what's, what are you eating, guys? What am I going to eat? Uh, open refrigerator is something I do. Um, <laughs> I, I almost marked this out of my notes. But Adam, when he's uh, authoritatively speaking, he'll say the word okay at the end of a lot of his sentences. <laughs> and so let that ruin every time he preaches. Like the, you guys ever hear this noise I make? I do this a lot. Uh, I don't know why, but sometimes I just have a ton of saliva. So that's, that's my thing. Nathan likes to start four or five sentences before he lands on the one he actually wants to say. Uh, uh, here's, I do a great Nathan impression that very few people have ever heard, but someday, someday we'll do it. Anyway, uh, I've got a, something that my son has, has outed me on recently as a posture of mind. Cohen, will you come up here? 
Cohen's going to, in the realm of postures, Cohen's going to show you two things. Uh, so Cohen does jujitsu. All of my kids do jujitsu. Gracie Barra, jujitsu, a uh, little hype to them. We've got a couple coaches in our church who do that, uh, Zach and stuff. Uh, Cohen, will you show me the black belt posture? Huh? Huh? You don't have to clap. Now, Cohen, Cohen recently let me know what pastor posture is. So I, I get in front of a mirror. Every time I put on a shirt, I get in front of a mirror and I do this thing. What is pastor posture? So apparently, show it one more time. Pastor posture? There it is. Okay, you can sit down. Thank you. Apparently, I didn't know this about me, but I see a mirror, I put on a shirt, and I look at myself, I go to the side, and I do this. And I don't know if it's because I need to make sure I have a manly chest, if it's because I want to make sure I don't look like a fatty in that shirt. I have no idea. I mean, I could, you know, pick your insecurity and overanalyze me to death. But I, I always do this, right? No matter what it is. I'll put a shirt on, a t-shirt, whatever, and I'll sh- you know, whatever. I don't know if I need to stand up straight, Davey. I don't know. I don't know, Grandpa. But like, this is, this is, this is what I do. We all have these postures. In the scriptures, there's postures given to us. And I think it's interesting that we have a posture of sin and rebellion. We talk about a lot. But, but God gave the Israelites patterns, rituals, rhythms, postures for them. They had seven specific festivals, and we could list them all, but you can go research them. Throughout the year, they had several festivals, things they would come back to. Why? Why did God give all these laws, all these postures, all these patterns? Why did he want them to have annual rhythms? Well, Deuteronomy gives us a clue. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 15. We're actually just going to read verse 4 and 5 and then verse 12. You can go back and read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 15. It's, it's very important verses. I think they're very great. Uh, they're really helpful for parenting. They're really helpful for uh, how you think about the world around you. Here's what's here's what said. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. This is the Shema. Say Shema. It's a prayer that all Hebrews, Jesus, would have prayed this prayer several times a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And it goes on to say, hey, write it on your forehead, write it on the doorpost, talk about it with your kids when you're awake and when you're lying down. Go to the meeting place and talk about it. Talk about the love of the Lord. Talk about God. Never stop telling people about God and what he's done. Why? Well, because you're about to go get in this land that God's going to give you. You're going to have, have um, cisterns that you didn't dig. You're going to have cities that you didn't build. You're going to have all this stuff that you didn't acquire. God acquired it for you. Here's verse 12. Take care lest you forget. Say forget. Take care lest you forget the Lord. Love the Lord. Don't forget. In fact, take care. Focus. Lean in. Don't forget the Lord. Why? Because our forgetter works really well. Our forgetter works great. It's really easy to forget the things that we value most. You want an example? How healthy have you been eating the last week? Make a list of all the healthy things people ought to do. You could, you could yell, you don't have to yell them out, but we could all say, oh, here's the healthy things I ought to do in life, even, even mental health, physical health, emotional health. How's that been going in the last seven days? You check all those boxes, you know? No, why? Because you're a, a slob who just decided to rebel against everything good and pleasant? No, because you forget. Your forgetter works really well. Did you remember not to yell at your kids in the last week? I oh, know you forgot, and you, you raised your temper. Did you remember to, to not be, be crass and coarse and, and biting towards your spouse? No, you forgot. Our forgetter works really well. Come spend two hours in my home. You'll see how well our forgetter works. It works very well. And here, when God says, hey, love me, I'm about to provide all these things I promised for you, but follow these postures and patterns so you don't forget. 
Our natural posture is rebellion. Just like pasture posture, right? We're trying to control our circumstances, make sure I have a whatever it is, stand up straight, manly chest, whatever. And, and so we're trying to control these things, but it's a posture that we put on for ourselves to control, forgetting the Lord, forgetting the, that it's God who creates and sustains us. In fact, the lies of Satan work a lot like this. Uh, we talk about this every Sunday, right? In fact, I say that we talk about this every Sunday, so you remember that we talk about it every Sunday. But in the garden, what did evil say? The very first thing the serpent did was pull appeal to our pride, our insecurity, our fear. And evil said things like, did God really say he would take care of you? Did God really say he'd work out your marriage? Did God really say that he loved you? Did God really say he'd be with you always? Stirring that doubt. You could be like God. You can decide. Wait a minute. You don't need this whole, whole God thing. You don't need to obey his postures and patterns. You can take care of yourself. We forget and we let the world and the flesh and the devil pull us away. And we fall into the patterns of the fallen world, which we've talked about before. Ultimately, fear, flight, fight, right? And then we pull fear and we escape. We go away. And what's interesting, think about, and we know this too, we want for more. I mean, you want 2024 to be better than 2023, you want things in Israel to work out and, and for people to stop being hurt and for justice to be served. You, you want for, for Ukraine to have the right outcome. You want for people who are evil to be punished and people who do well to do. You want for better. We want for better. I want for better. I want things to be better. In fact, let's just do this. Let's do, do some philosophy with me for a sec. If there is a God who is above you, yes, and if he's good, so start with those supremacists. There is a God who's above you and he's good, then that would mean that the best possible world you could imagine is not a world in which you're having more control. It would be a world in which this God who's above you, who's, who's good, has all control, and you submit to him. That's the best possible you imagine. That's just philosophy. That's very simple. And we say that on a Sunday morning, we're like, mm, quite good, quite good, yes, yes, I'd like that God, I'd like that world. But is that something we're actually submitting to? Do we actually live the patterns of our life like there is a God who's above us, there is a God who's good, and the best possible world we could imagine is a world in which he's in charge? This is the kingdom of God. Say kingdom. kingdom. Dallas Willard defines kingdom like this. The kingdom of God is God reigning. It is present wherever what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. God's reign is all around you and is from everlasting to everlasting. It is the natural home of the soul. You were created to live in the boundaries in which God created you for his kingdom, his rule, his reign. That's the best possible world you can imagine. Otherwise, there isn't a God and or God is not good. So if there is a God, if God is good, it must be that the only way the world gets better is through him. So why isn't this happening? Obviously, you mentioned this through sin, through rebellion, through brokenness. And so what does God do with that? Sin, rebellion, brokenness. Does God just sit on a mountain and say, come to me, do the right things, climb the mountain, slash yourself, say the right songs, write enough prayers in your prayer journal, memorize enough scripture, have enough kids, whatever it is. Is that how God responds in scripture? No, in scripture, God leans in. And this is where we're going this morning. All through scripture, we see God gave people to prepare people, to build people for his kingdom come. How's that for a pastor sentence? <laughs> Try it again. God gave people to prepare people to build people 
for his kingdom come. He builds his kingdom through people who look to him through, despite their brokenness, despite how messed up they are, despite how, how, how many bad cards they've been dealt, how many things are stacked against them. God puts his spirit in them and empowers them. And all through scripture, we see them create change, create people who look to him. Let's do, uh, let's do a span through scripture. Instead of asking you to yell out names, it's the end of the year. You're tired. I'm tired. It's been 2023. Calm down. You can rest. Okay, I'll, I'll list them for you. Let's go through this. Let's look at some Bible characters and just survey their brokenness. I got a lot here. They're going to be on the screen. Pick it up. Eve, she was deceived by Satan. Huh? Yeah, right? And then Adam sinned willingly alongside of her. Noah got drunk and was abused by his son. Abraham lied about his wife being his sister to save himself twice. Isaac lied about his wife Rebecca being his sister. It's a family issue. Jacob was a deceiver, Jacob. Joseph was sold into slavery. Moses murdered an Egyptian. Rahab was a prostitute. The people of Israel repeatedly turned from God. Gideon struggled with doubt and fear. Naomi suffered the loss of her husband and sons. Samson was arrogant and lustful, to say the least. David committed adultery and murder and was an emotional roller coaster. I'm not even going to try. That's not going to happen. He was crippled. Elijah struggled with depression and fear. Uh, there's verses that imply he was suicidal, by the way. Those of you who've gone through suicide ideation. Jonah disobeyed God's command. Hosea married an unfaithful wife. Esther was an orphan in the exile. The woman at the well had multiple failed marriages, to say the least. Levi was a tax collector, a traitor. Mary Magdalene was possessed by demons. Martha worried about stuff and things is her thing. Lazarus was dead for four days. What's your excuse? Like, come on. I just, I wrote that. I was like, hold on. That's kind of, yeah, top that. Lazarus was dead. Zacchaeus was a corrupt tax collector. Peter was a hothead who denied Jesus. He was a part of the inner circle, inner three. He seems like a terrible schmuck. Thomas doubted Jesus' resurrection. Paul persecuted and sought to kill Christians. Cornelius was a Roman centurion turned, who turned to Jesus. Eutychus, he fell from a window and died during Paul's preaching. You ever think we're going long and boring? We got you. Someone's worse. Every time I think, man, we're going long. Ron's standing up too soon, whatever it is. No, Paul made people fall out a window and die because of his preaching. So calm down. Listen, these are the people of the Bible. And this was a short list. I had 101. And I just started deleting some back and back and back because we couldn't do this forever. And you start hearing this and you find yourself, and they, wait a minute. God gave people to prepare people, to build people for his kingdom come. And the example, the climax, God coming down to earth is Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. As soon as he hits the scene, what does Jesus teach? When I say Jesus, you say kingdom. There it is. Yeah, sorry. It's been a while. It was two years ago we did that series. I'll do it again. Repeat. When I say Jesus, you say kingdom. When you think of Jesus, you have to think about the kingdom. Jesus came for what? Why? Kingdom, right? Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, meaning all this stuff that you're hoping for, everything you want for 2023, 2024, 2025, your hopes, your dreams, everything that's in your head, stop. It's fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right now. Repent. Change your mind. Rethink about what you think about. Metanoia in Greek. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus brings the kingdom, God's desire and will, by living the life that we should have lived and couldn't. 
And then he died the death that we deserved, taking on our, our separation, our condemnation, so that through him we could have life, a right relationship with the Lord. This is why Paul writes in Romans 5, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam and Eve, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man, Jesus Christ. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And now we get to Ephesians 4. How's that for an intro? In Ephesians 4 now, Paul is going, he spent the first time in Ephesians unpacking all this beautiful story. I just unpacked how, how we were chosen and God brought us in and he sealed us in his spirit only through our faith. And that although we were dead, walking dead, thinking we're alive but actually dead, that Christ made us alive through his death and resurrection because of God's great love for us. And then we get to Ephesians 4. Starting in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. Meaning everything you do in life is for the calling to which you've been called. That should raise a question mark. What? What? I should walk what? What does that mean? How have I been called? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, if you're in this room, or you're in any room with other Christians, you have an eternal bond of peace because of the Holy Spirit in you. That supersedes every bias you might have. That supersedes being liberal or conservative. That supersedes who you voted for. That supersedes all your personal agendas, what you think about gun control. All of that is set aside because King Jesus has superiority. King Jesus has authority in heaven and earth. And Paul goes out of his way over and over in Ephesians to say, Ephesians is about unity, by the way. Unity in what? Well, unity in Christ because of his spirit. And Paul goes on to unpack this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. There is one. Highlander, there can only be one, right? No, no, no. Uh, or it's, there can be only one. Either way, this is the idea, though. There's only one. In, in, imagine this. In, in a Roman culture, in any culture where they're looking to all these different gods, and we have our gods today. Don't, don't think that there's not a god of politics. There's not a god of, of, of gun control. There's not a god of, of Mormonism. Whatever it is, there's some evil. There's something pulling you away to distract you of addiction. They're there, right? And so in this culture, you see, stops. Paul says, hey, there is one. There's one body. There's one thing that unifies us, and it's King Jesus through his spirit. Now, here's where we land. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. Raise your hand if you're one of us. If you're a human in the room breathing. Good. Some of you are not a human and are not breathing. I'm sorry for you. It's okay. Sorry about your shoulder issues. If you can't raise your hand, my bad. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Here's where Paul's been going this whole time. Paul wants you to know that if you believe in Christ, you're gifted. In fact, uh, he says in Ephesians 1, he says, if you put your faith in Jesus, you received his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, when you think of Holy Spirit, you can think about all sorts of things. You think about gifts, you can think about power. The first thing you need to think about is presence. Say presence. 
God's presence in us. That's the same God who speaks the universe into existence. The same God who empowered all these idiots in Scripture who constantly go against God. He, he empowered them to do all the good things we read in Scripture. That same God's presence is in you. Ephesians 1 says, In Him, Jesus Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, which is happening right now, you're hearing the word of truth this morning. So none of us in this room are listening at home or watching or whatever. You have no excuse. Once you've heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed. Some of you have made that step. You don't believe, right? But if you have, if you've heard it and now you believe, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That word sealed is the same word that was used for kings when they like heated the wax up and and they put a seal on, they gave it to someone. The only person who could break the seal was the king. The person who was, who was no, the king had the authority. This is the same concept Paul's putting here. You were sealed by the king with the spirit. His Holy Spirit is in you. It marks you. It seals you. It's our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise and glory. So Paul goes out of his way in Ephesians 1 to say, if you believe in Jesus... You're sealed in the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you. And you've been set free from your sin by Christ for what? For good works. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. You didn't climb the mountain. You didn't do your own thing. You didn't bring yourself to church. God brought you here. Quit thinking you have all this control and power. That's where anxiety lies. It's all about you. Pastor Posture, I'm in control. No. Quit thinking. God did it. It's not about you so that you can boast. Not a result of your works. Verse 10. For we are Jesus' workmanship. His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when Paul says, now I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, you're walking in the good works Jesus has given to you. You walk in the gifts he's given you to become like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is life. Because the best possible world you can imagine is a world in which the God who created you, the God who's good, the God who loves you, as Nathan told us a little while ago and we sang about, it's where that God has full authority. So lean in. Ephesians 4. We're going to go ahead to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we obtain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Why are you here? Like, just take a step back. Why are you here? Well, this is where I sit on Sundays. Why are you here? Why are you at another church? Why aren't you resting at home? Why aren't you ice fishing? I don't know what people do in the wintertime. It's weird. But why aren't you hunting? It's still bow season. Why are you here? I mean, it's holidays are busy for everyone. Why are you here? Paul tells us. For the work of ministry. You exist. You're here. You're gathering because there's one body. There's one father, one faith, one baptism, one God who's the father above all, in all, through all, one savior, King Jesus. And you're here for the work of ministry. What is, what is ministry? 
Jesus tells us, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Ministry is you repenting and believing the gospel and telling other people to repent and believe in the gospel. Why are you here, Christian? To repent and believe in the gospel and do the work of ministry to tell others to repent, repent and believe in the gospel. This is why Jesus taught us to pray. What? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do not forget. Remember his kingdom come. One of the first memories that I have of this equipping, being equipped, um, I was uh, seventh grade. I was at Super Summer. Anyone ever been to Super Summer? Give me a whoop. Anyone? No, just me? Whoop, whoop? Okay, fine. Josiah shook his head. He just doesn't like to whoop in public. Um, Don't whoop in public. We don't whoop at church. Come back. So I was at Super Summer, and uh, I was worshiping and singing songs, um, and there was a moment where I, I felt the presence of God. And as a seventh grader, I can't describe or define that, but there was something I was, uh, as uh, um, Brendan Manning would say, I was seized by the power of a great affection. <laughs> and, and God moved in me. And, and all of a sudden, there was like power. There was confidence that I don't normally have. Remember, I'm the pastor posture guy, so whatever insecurities. I mean, I had this confidence. And, and as a seventh grader, I stood up and I saw all these people around Pike Auditorium at Southwest Baptist University, and there was really uncomfortable seats at the time that were obnoxious to get around. But I saw all these people sitting and crying or lining the sides, and I felt compelled to go pray with them. And I started hopping over seats, and I started praying with these people. I didn't know them, just started praying with them. And, and it's interesting that, that even at that time, when the Lord first started gripping at my heart, from the very young, ignorant age of a seventh grader, God was equipping me to know the rest of your life, you're going to hop whatever barriers are necessary to show other people how to look to Jesus. That's your life. That's what you're going to be doing. And, and that's refined. At the time, I thought I was called to youth ministry. And so I went and went to school and studied youth ministry and all that. And it's interesting that, that as God continued to find that, as I continue to look to Jesus, that's, that's my life in a nutshell. The word of God burns in my bones, as Jeremiah would say, and I am willing to overcome whatever barrier necessary, hopping any seat that needs to be hopped, to sit with the Lord with you and show you who Jesus is. That's what being equipped and equipping others looks like. And then here I am talking about that. But not all of us are here preaching every Sunday, right? But we're all called to the work of ministry. Say, I'm called to ministry. Yeah, and our culture's kind of made that weird shift where it's like, are you called to ministry or not? Ah, it's uncomfortable because all of us are called to ministry. Sorry you don't get that pass just because you're old or you're young or you're crippled. Go back to the list, right? There's several people who don't seem like they should be called, but yet we're all called to ministry. I want to mention some other people in our church and some things they do. I felt led to, I worked on this list with uh, some, some folks in our church um, at the risk of maybe embarrassing some of these people. Here's some things that come out of, of our church. Think about kingdom. You think about people who are following the Lord. What are things that come out of them in a kingdom? We're all not standing up here preaching or hopping seats to pray with people and we're seventh graders. Maybe you are. Charlie Harrison, he uh, comes to the church at least once a week to do several repairs throughout the church. Lee takes the bus for an inspection and repairs. Uh, at least he takes a driving once a month. Uh, just comes, just decides, I'm going to go take this, this in the van. 
Sarah McDonald subs on Sundays for school teachers who, who can't be there. She, she just hops in. She says, hey, I'll get in the game and I'll help out. Josiah and Jimmy meet twice a week, super early with the shepherds because they believe God's called them to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, and they're being equipped. And they meet stupid early in the mornings. Sometimes Josiah works like an 18-hour shift, something ridiculous, and then he still wakes up with his energy drink in hand, and he shows up to meet. Those guys aren't on staff, but they're gathering together to shepherd and to figure out what it means to follow God's calling in their life. Kathy Mills comes and changes the laundry in our church because church have laundry. Did you know that? Crazy. Weird how that works. Kim Darrington serves in Kidland on Wednesday night. She's been doing that for several years now. Ron checks in with the office several times a week for repairs. Garrett checks pins in the seats. You'll find him fluttering about before or after service, checking pins and cards in the seat. Jason's running the sound every Sunday. Pardon me, Moon, if that's how you know him. Tisha plays piano at most funerals. It's such a wild thing for me to take a step back. This sort of thing you never think about with pastoring, that you're going to form a funeral team, right? But odds are, if your time comes, the Lord calls you home, something awful happens, Tisha and I will be at your funeral. And I thank God for that, because that's not something that her or I just initially signed up for. Wade comes in on Thursdays and sets up all the slides and text stuff for Sunday. And he patiently deals with the fact that I never give him slides until about 8.15 in the mornings on Sunday. Laura cleans the youth room. Brian Hassler counts attendance every Sunday. Several people look out for the safety and security of our church. And, and you know, if every now and then you'll just catch him and be like, why is that person walking? Oh, they care about protecting us. They care about people not being where they shouldn't be. They care about children's safety. Conrad and Oliver teach kids just like they were taught. They equip and are equipping others. They were equipped, and now they go and equip. I could go on and on. This is another list that I had to just keep removing things for because we don't have time. And the point isn't to look at each of these people and say, ah, they're not really honored. Please go and shake the idol's hand because you have this. No, no, no. Here's the point. God has given people to prepare people, to build people for his kingdom come. The best possible world you could imagine is a world in which the Lord is reigning. What he desires is what's happening. And that only happens, as we see through Scripture, through people submitting to him, being empowered by... Hey, listen, the church is not an organization filled with volunteers. That word is both helpful and colloquial, and we use it a lot, but it also really grates all the shepherds. We're not up here speaking and teaching Scripture and trying to equip you so that you go and volunteer. There are organizations that need volunteers, and that's great. You can go volunteer. We're wanting you to live as a kingdom person, someone who's repented and believes in the gospel, who's compelled by the love of Christ, who says, I cannot go take the bus and drive it because I want to make sure that it's ready for ministry. I can't help but come change the laundry because the Lord is so moved in me that I just I need to do these things to serve his kingdom come. I don't even know how it all lines up, but I got to do it. I can't help but go help people move who need help moving because I know that his kingdom come, his will be done. We're not looking for simply volunteers. There's a place for that. Some of you are get it done people. I got to go get it done. Just get it done. That's fine. Maybe there's time to just get it done. You don't want to serve in kid land, but someone's got to be there. Fine. Go get it done. But the world of the Bible calls you to ministry and ministry is anything in which you're deciding I'm going to insert my time, money, energy, my stuff to recognize that others need to repent and believe in the gospel. They need to look to Jesus. God gave people to prepare people, to build people for his kingdom come. How are you living in that kingdom? Are you just observing it, hoping that others will do it? 
Do verses like uh, Ephesians 4.12, you're just like, ah, that's, that's probably a pastor verse. That's for those who are called to ministry. Now, Paul says all y'all. Ephesians is written to you, those who believe in Jesus. You are called for the work of ministry. It is on me and Adam and, and Nathan and, and other shepherds in our church to equip you. And so that's fine. Maybe that's your excuse. I don't know what to do. That's fine, but you're not without excuse. Come find us. We'll equip you. Because that's our calling. That's what we do. We'll equip you for the work of ministry. Your role is to do ministry. So as we have response time, the band's going to come and, and play some music. We're going to have about three minutes uh, do kind of a dual response here. There's a, uh, a slide that, that Wade's going to put up that's just got some words on it, words that represent different ministries in the church, different vague things. And, and as you see those things, I would encourage you to sit right now, open your hands, and just let the Spirit lead in your heart and just pray. Maybe you feel led to just pray for the campus team or for Coyote Hill or for missions. Maybe the word meals stands out to you. I don't know, right? I just felt like God told me to do this so it's on the screen. So I don't know what God's going to tell you to do. But open your hands and recognize you don't have an excuse, Christian. I can't emphasize that enough. This is not a room full of heroes that lead and run this organization. Do you know some of us? Like, look at the booth. Are those guys heroes up there? Yeah, in a sense, but they wouldn't say, hey, look to us. Actually, look over here. That's why they're hiding in the booth. They want you to look up here. Like, like all of us here are here recognizing that we're broken and that we trust in Jesus. We're empowered by his spirit, and that's you. And so we want to take time. As you look forward to the future, as you're thinking about 2024, I don't really, I'm not interested in, in how you're evaluating this. I want you to open your hands and I want to shepherd just a time for the spirit to move, for you to say, God, what are you calling me to do? You've called me to ministry. You've filled me with your presence, your Holy Spirit. Now, how do I live for the kingdom? How do I actually live for your kingdom come, your will be done? As you sit and do that, you'll find these cards in your seat. It's another option for response. Uh, it says, my next step if you are sitting there like, man, I, something's stirring to me. I'm really interested in whatever campus is or youth or meals or, or kid land. That's really standing. I can't. Something's moving in me. Man, write it on this card. Put your name, your email, your phone, whatever, your CB handle. We'll find a way to get a hold of you. But put your name on here and write what God's saying and put it in the offering plate later on. I'm convinced that when Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that he meant it. I'm convinced that, that when he said, receive the spirit and breathe his presence into us, that he meant for us to go and live like Jesus. The only life worth living is living like Christ. And we don't have a shot at living like Christ unless we're doing it as one together, being equipped and equipping others. That's literally what the verse says. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Whatever your excuse is right now, whatever your bear, you might say, I'm too new here. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too busy. Could you at least open your hands and ask God about it before you decide, before you put on your version of the pasture posture and say, oh, I've got this figured out. Could you just step back and say, God, what are you calling me to? Because your word says I'm supposed to minister and I don't know what that looks like. Let's start this next year by opening our hands to be obedient to the Lord. Let me tell you a quick story. When I first started doing the youth ministry here, 
Um, I don't know if my heart was in the right place or not. It was kind of get it done. You've got a degree. The kids like you. Things are on fire. Just step in there and play your songs. You're a funny guy. The kids will listen to you. And that's how it started. And so, uh, some of you, when I look and I see your face, it's like, man, that was so formative for me and my family because it was one of the things God used to remind me, you're called to sit with people and show them who Jesus is. And, and here's, it's not about me. Lee Idol at the time was helping me, and I don't know his original heart in helping me either. I think it's just because he was, uh, gosh, transporting hundreds of kids all the time there because that's what he does. He's literally a living bus. And, and there was one conversation we had that I'll never forget. He, I was talking to him about being in the youth consistently. He said, I just, this, sorry, this is, too vulnerable for Lee. He said, I don't think I'm cool enough to be in the youth. Raise your hand if you've been in the youth group with Lee Idol. Yes or no? Is Lee Idol cool enough? Absolutely. And it's not just because Lee Idol is tall and got farmer swag. It's because Lee Idol loves Jesus and because he's been called and equipped by Jesus. You don't have an excuse. You've been called to ministry. I'm going to quit pressuring you. We're going to listen to the Spirit. God, I pray that you would guide us right now as we open our hands. I pray that you would pull us from the anxiety, the tension, the excuses, and I pray that your Spirit would move as we see words on a screen of ministry. I pray that your Spirit would move beyond that of the ministries that you're, you're building up in people that we don't even have a name for yet because we want to see your kingdom come, your will be done because that's how you told us to live. We know that you are life. Father, guide us now in this time as we open our hands, as we take a moment to be silent before you, to pray for ministries and to pray how you would call us to minister. And I pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, that you would raise people up, that even now you'd be moving in people's hearts to equip them to ministry, give them boldness to respond to the ministries you're calling them to. We trust you, Father. Guide this time. 